um, during the worship, um, we were singing, dance with me, O lover of my soul. And I expected to be taken to somewhere like really romantic and really beautiful. And I find myself in the mail room. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, so I see all these letters. And then as I look closely, I see some of them are heart-shaped and some of them have stickers on them. And the Lord said to me, these are the love letters I've written for my people that they won't receive. That they haven't allowed themselves to receive. They haven't known the depths of my love for them. They haven't allowed the depth of my love for them to actually be received into their hearts. And today I'm speaking on truth, but truth in love. And it's amazing that we decide to choose parts of him that we receive into our world, the parts that we're comfortable with. I'm comfortable with truth, but not love. Or I'm comfortable with love, but not truth. And Jesus says, don't you want all of me? Don't you want the entirety of me? I'm not gonna beat you over the head with truth, but I'm not gonna let you drive off the cliff in love. So I started to speak on um, truth a number of weeks ago in the afternoon, and I'll do a quick recap of that in a moment. But since speaking this word, the Lord has really shone in my face a, a particular scripture which has been really confronting um, to me, but in its confrontation, after I kept looking at it, it actually became a source of comfort. And it's Romans 3, 4. In the Amplified Version, it says, let God be found true as he will be, though every person be found a liar, just as it has, is written in Psalm 51 verse four, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. That's when the Lord's judged by us, would you believe? <laughs> and essentially the Lord just, over and over and over again, he keeps saying to me, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. But that's really strong, Lord. <laughs> and he started to show me if, if he is truth, because I've been obsessing over this, I've been obsessing over light and truth and the shadow. And he says, if I am light and I am truth, any part of you that does not line up with that is a liar. Any part, every part that does not line up with what I say, no matter your circumstance, no matter what your circumstance says to you, if it doesn't line up with what God says, it's lying. It's a shadow. It is not fullness, it is not truth. It doesn't have Jesus in it because Jesus is true and everything that contradicts it is a lie. And to me, after a while, that became a source of comfort because to me, comfort is order. And the steadfast truth of the Lord, the sure thing of the Lord is a comfort because it's immovable, unshakable, irrefutable. 
it is truth. And therefore, everything else that sets itself up against it, sets itself, sets itself up over it, contradicts it, is a lie. And there is no way around that. So I get to choose. Do I live my lie, which I call my truth? <laughs> do I live my lie or do I allow his word to shine into that place, to cause it to fall apart until those structures leave me and I am fully submitted to the ways and the light of the Lord? Those are my only two options. And so today I wanna to speak about love and truth and how the Lord brings those together. But a quick recap. Sorry, I got a bit wrecked by that worship. <clears throat> okay, quick recap. Often we use the truth as a stick. It's, thank you. It's really easy to put the truth out there and measure other people against truth. Against, you know, what God says when you read the word. Oh, I can see that person's not doing that. Well, when they said to me the other day this, oh, they were wrong. Yep, the word of God says, and it's really easy to use it in that way. It is much harder to allow the truth to penetrate our hearts and change us first, to actually allow it to come in and move us. There is no such thing as subjective truth because if, it's a, if it is subjective, it is not truth. There is no such thing as subjective truth and yet most of us live by our truth. I hate the word, you know, my truth. My truth is this, I'm just giving you my truth. Oh, but let's be truthful. Most of us do live by our truth. Our circumstances have preached to us what is true, what is not true. What God says, you know, it has to come in through the filter of our circumstances or our experiences. That's our truth. But actually, there's no such thing. Truth is objective, truth is Jesus. Truth by nature is firm, secure, steadfast, and complete. We think of truth as a set of facts. And if I'm looking at this objectively without my known biases, then I have truth. That's still not truth. Truth means verity, irrefutable, and objective. Now, the word objective is interesting because it requires an object against which something is measured, makes it objective. Objective means impartial, but nothing can be impartial, except for one. Everything has an object against which it is compared. There is no subjective truth. Jesus alone is truth. For something to be true, to be truth, it has to be measured against the only thing which is irrefutable, the only thing which is impartial, the only thing it can be compared to is God himself. Therefore, the only way we get truth is for it to be measured up against the fullness of the character and nature of God. That is the only way we can get truth. See, the world keeps shifting the goalposts by changing the object against which we measure truth. 
They remove God out of the equation and they put another object in there that we measure or they measure truth against. But that is always partial. It is always irrefutable if it doesn't measure up against God himself, the only immovable thing. And this is why we keep getting the moving of the goalposts throughout our political realm, our education realm, because they move the object. They change the object against which truth is measured. And we have to keep bringing it back to the one thing that is objective, immovable, God himself. Jesus is truth. Jesus is love. Jesus is the way. Jesus is light, Jesus is life, and they are all contained within him. Therefore, in order to get truth, we have to measure it up against the fullness of that. We have to measure it up against love, light, life. If it doesn't have life, it's not truth. Because Jesus is life, and he is the object against which we are measuring truth. Therefore, if something doesn't contain life and doesn't have in it with the, the essence of Zoe life, the essence of supernatural life, it's not truth. If it doesn't have within it the essence of love, the, the very nature of God that sent his son to the cross to die for us, if it doesn't contain that, it's not truth. Because we have to measure it up against the only one who is truth. So Jesus is truth. And so when we're measuring truth, we measure it up against the fullness of the character and nature of the Lord. He says, I am the irrefutable, objective plumb line against which everything is measured to and measured by, which is all truth, by which all truth is determined and in whom all truth is. He is. He is the one. So to take one out of the equation means you no longer have the person itself, but an element or a shadow of truth. So to recap, truth is a person, and if you take it away from the other characteristics of the person, it is no longer truth, because it is no longer attached to the irrefutable, impartial plumb line. If you leave truth attached then we understand that in the irrefutable, impartial plumb line contains love, life, the way, and the light. That is truth. So that is a recap of part one. So what I wanted to speak today about though is truth in love in more depth. When we embrace truth without love, we no longer have truth. We have facts maybe. We have a shadow, a portion. And when we embrace love without truth, we actually have no love. We might have a level of comfort, maybe concern, more likely fear of man, um, but not love. <laughs> so I was waking up um, a couple of months ago thinking about this. And you know that in that semi-sleep state, God started to speak to me about Goldilocks and the three bears, and specifically the beds. Um, so as I'm laying there semi-asleep, the Lord starts to, to show, me, show me this story. And I was, I, was half, I was half laughing at the ridiculousness 
um, of you know the God of the universe trying to communicate to me through a fairy tale <laughs> to try to get my head around what he was saying. Um, but this is what he said to me. He said, as Goldilocks goes into the house and she lies on the first bed, the first bed's too hard. And it rep- what that represents is truth, truth itself or a, a, a portion or a shadow of truth. And as you lay on a bed of truth, it's so hard. Its firm structure leaves us with bruises, sometimes broken bones, and it's pain in the result of it. And then she goes over to the next bed, the really, really soft bed. And this soft bed is a bed of love. But the bed, the, the, the love disconnected from truth is too soft. It lacks structure, leaves us with no substance, atrophied muscles, unable to function. And then we come to the last bed. The, the bed with the structure made of truth, with the comfort and the softness of love, truth in love. And here we have the stability and the steadfastness of truth with the comfort, embrace, and the sense of being held and walked through. And we find ourselves in the place of being just right. (laughs) Um, and, And this spoke to me so much about the way the place that we speak truth from, the way that we communicate truth, and that he always has this place of embracing us and pulling us through. He doesn't go, here's, this, here's the truth, go fetch it and leave us out there alone. He walks with us. He stays with us. Truth is not this rod of iron that we beat people over the head with when he himself draws us with cords of love. He leads us through. And he took me to Hosea 11, 1 to 4. And it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet I was the one who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and I fed them. This is the way the Lord leads us in truth. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us in true ways and straight pathways. But as we're toddling along and trying to figure out how to walk, he actually draws us with cords of kindness and bonds of love. He doesn't beat us over the head with these sticks or rods of iron, but he draws us gently into this place. He heals us along the way when we don't even know that we're being healed. He he picks us up when we're unable to walk and then steadies us again to teach us how to do it anew. This is the way of the truth of the Lord, the way that he does it. God's truth is more like cords of love. On the flip side, we also misunderstand love. At best, we might extend kindness. But is it really kindness to let someone walk out the front door with their dress tucked in their undies? Because it's uncomfortable. 
to tell them that that's going on? Is it love to let someone get up on stage and speak with spinach in their teeth? Because you don't wanna you know, hurt their feelings. Is it love to allow your neighbor to continue to walk in darkness when the light is right there for you to give them? Is that love? It's not. It's the fear of man. It's man-pleasing or aversion to conflict. We justify it by saying we don't want to hurt someone's feelings and therefore that's love to make us feel better. And so that they won't experience a single moment of pain but for the benefit of the lifetime of truth. We avoid it and that's not love. We are actually called to bring correction, otherwise known as judgments, because this is love. This is kindness. It is love to teach our children to walk in kindness, gentleness, truthfulness, and patience. But where does patience come from? Building patience in our lives is not comfortable and it's not nice. It says in James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, which means patient endurance, and let steadfastness have its full effects that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Or in the Amplified, it says, that um, being perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in no thing. It is actually the trials that we have to go through and push through that produces in us steadfastness. I love the word steadfast. It's so sure, so certain. It means resolute. It also means dutifully firm and unwavering. The Greek word used there is better still and I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it, but it means cheerful endurance. And from a root word meaning having acquired fortitude. There's an actual emotional component attributed to steadfastness. It is not the um, painful endurance it says cheerful endurance. There's actually a, a place in our heart where it, it says count it all joy, where we've actually understood what will be produced in us. And there's a joy that comes from knowing what is being formed in us, a fortitude and approving of those things that we seek to lay hold of so that they become a firm foundation to build something on. And that's what we count all joy. It's not necessarily the pain or the trial itself, but it's knowing that this is producing in me. It's like exercising. This is producing in me something strong, something steadfast, something sure. And for that, we count it all joy. For that, we are laying hold of. We actually have no steadfastness if it's never been tested or proven. There is no strengthening of the pillars without the fire. It is love to allow someone 
to go through trials and testing and not remove that from them, but walk beside them as they go through testings and trials so that steadfastness is produced in them. I think these days we try too much to remove pain from people's worlds and remove testing and trials from people's worlds and then they never get the opportunity to produce within themselves a steadfastness that will carry them through other seasons. And so when they get to a place of adulthood or God forbid parenting and they've got no steadfastness in them, they're movable, they're shakeable. It's not a sure thing. We have to allow our children and our young people to go through trials, not alone and not abandoned, walking beside them, but to ensure that steadfastness is produced in them. That solidness, that firmness is produced in them so that they can stand up against the trials and tribulations in their later years, in their adult years. And they can actually give glory to the Lord. Correction or judgment is another way of loving someone. Believe it or not. It says in Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instructions. And I think this comes back to um, what I saw during worship in the mail room, these love letters. It says a wise son hears inclines his ears and seeks to receive instruction from the Lord. And then in 13, um, 24, the second part, it says, he who loves his child is diligent to discipline him. And so if we understand that love and discipline go together, one, we can do it, and another, we can receive it. I receive the discipline of the Lord. I get it a lot. And in preparing this message, I got it double time. <laughs> more all because you always get tested on what you speak. And I'm like, oh, the discipline of the Lord. All right, you love me. All right, you're calling me higher. You're calling me to be better. You're calling me to let go of more that's keeping me slowed down. Ultimately, God is the judge. And this is why we need his perspective before we bring correction. We don't bring correction or discipline from a place of our own understanding or our own subjective truth. This is why we have to submit ourselves first to him, to his discipline, to his ways. And so that when we bring correction or judgment, it is completely in the love of the Lord and without hypocrisy. Matthew 7, this is always used um, as a scripture for people who don't like to receive discipline to tell you not to discipline them. <laughs> judge not, lest you be judged. For with the same judgment you judge, you will be judged. Sorry, with the same judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. But doesn't this just mean submit yourself to the discipline and judgment of the Lord? Doesn't this just mean that if you give yourself over to him and you allow him to correct you, then the measure is always going to be correct? And this is why I think that. 
Why do you look at the speck in, an, in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own? Or how do you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, the plank is in your own? Hypocrite! <laughs> it, but it doesn't say not to remove the speck, right? It says hypocrite first. First, remove the plank from your own eye. That means take it to the Lord, allow the judgments of the Lord to come and remove those things that are causing you to walk in circles, to get tripped over, to stumble, the things that you need to be, bring before the Lord, do that first. This is why I said right at the beginning, the measuring stick of truth first has to go deep into our heart to become the plumb line from which we actually deliver truth. We have to live in truth so we can deliver truth. But it says here, first remove the plank and then, then you get to see clearly because now you're in the ways of the Lord, on the paths of the Lord, in the love of the Lord, speaking truth from a place of love, having submitted yourself humbly to the disciplines of the Lord. Now from that place, you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. We are encouraged after dealing with our own crookedness and our own ways within us to help our brother remove the blind spot from his eyes. That is truth, that is love. It is not love now having brought yourself before the Lord, gotten your path straight, having him discipline you to look on from a distance at a very clear blind spot in your brother's eye and see them drive off a cliff. That's not love. And it's not wrong judgment to come to your brother and go, brother, you've got a speck in your eye. And I can see clearly from the place of love to deliver to you truth that will bring you freedom from that speck. That's love. So in reality, there is no truth without love. There is no love without truth, only shadows. Only man's interpretations of truth and love. Where somehow we believe that truth is hard and brutal and lacking in wisdom and we think love is to embrace and therefore allow someone to stay in sin or encouragement without boundaries or support without restraint. These are worldly views of truth and love. The truth and the love of the Lord is whole and it is complete and it is pure and it is perfect. And through psychology, we're taught about different parenting styles. And there are four different parenting styles um, in psychological teaching. And the first one being authoritarian, which is essentially a disciplinarian. We have high control, low support. And what this produces when we focus on punishment, there's a focus on punishment and obedience, but no love and support. And what this produces is children who throw off restraint the moment that the high control is removed from their lives. 
And then they have self-esteem problems and they don't know how to communicate their own views because they've never developed within them a steadfastness which has had to be proven in themselves because it's always been an external control. And you can start to see as I read through these how our views of who God the Father is will really shape some of the ways that we actually can receive from him. If we view him as a disciplinarian, the one who wants to punish us, there's high control, but we don't understand the love and support that he'll give us. And what that can result in is the moment that we think we can get away with it, we throw off all restraint, but we've got no steadfastness within us that can actually see us through moments of testing. Then there's the permissive parent, which is indulgent, low control, high support, lots of participation awards. We don't score um, in soccer at all. We go to the World Cup and everyone's a winner. And we tantrum if we don't win. Permissive parenting, no enforcement of the rules. This is called licentiousness in the Bible. And it produces children with a lack of resilience Again, a lack of internal locus of control, ability to be steadfast within ourselves because the truth has not come in. Then there's neglectful, a distant God, a distant parent, uninvolved, low control, low support, little guidance, little nurturing. Often in this situation with parents, they're dealing with their own traumas and their own chaos and produces offspring with low self-esteem, inability to have direction and relationship difficulties. And if we view God as an uninvolved parent, a God who is distant, a God who isn't um, intimately connected to our lives, if we view God as somebody who doesn't care about you know, the way that we're living it out, we actually then have no direction. We lack the ability to um, create direction in our life and even have relationship with other people. But the fourth one is the authoritative, democratic, and that is high control, high support. Truth, love. It focuses on relationship. It explains that discipline is for your own good. There's an explanation, there are, there's an explanation of consequences. If you go on this path, this is the result of this pathway. If you walk in this pathway, this is the result of this pathway. If you walk on the pathways of the Lord, there is blessing there. And the blessings chase you down. But there's an explanation very clearly within the word of God. If you walk on your own ways, what that produces. Right, so this is high control and high support. I'm going to draw you with cords of love. I'm going to lead you with cords of kindness. And that is the way that the Lord parents and cares for us. This produces responsible children who understand consequences. They're able to self-advocate, make their own decisions because it's been um, proven within them, steadfastness. They understand they've made choices, they've gone through, they've been proved. And this is the way that the Lord governs. This is the way that the Lord parents us. It's clear, it's steadfast, it's sure. 
but it's got the love and the support all the way through it. He's always been relational in discipline. It's for our good. It's not because he's angry. He is not a distant punishing God. He is not uninterested. He's a God of love and holiness. In Psalm 18 verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. It's been tested and been found to be sure it's true. And then it says he is a shield for all who trust him. So the Lord is perfect. The Lord is true. And walking in his truth is a place of protection for those who believe in it. So walking in truth is a shield. It protects us. It's a secure place. You know, when we walk through this world and we continue to walk in truth, while we may be battered by the lies of the enemies, we walk in a place of hiddenness in the shield of the Lord when we're surrounded by his truth. Psalm 51, verse six. See, we think that truth is simply to answer a question with black and white facts, but this is not the truth that Jesus demonstrated. He says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. He desires truth from within, not empty words, not empty truths, not honoring him with our lips, but our hearts being far from him. When Jesus was posed a question by the Sadducees and the Pharisees in Matthew 22, they were trying to entrap him with truth. Right? They're trying to entrap him in a place of having to answer truthfully. They understood a dimension of the word without understanding the substance or the spirit of it. So Jesus answers their question, not the question posed by their mouth, but the question asked in their heart. Seeing their motivation, he addressed that. He got right to the truth of the matter. Jesus was not concealing, he wasn't hiding, he was shining a light onto what was truthfully the question and truthfully the motivation being asked. In Matthew 15, seven to nine, Jesus says to them, the Pharisees and the scribes, quoting from Isaiah, he says, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men, the truth of men, but not truth. So what they started to do is they started to weaponize the commandments, weaponize the word, ignoring what truth is, which is the full substance, counsel, and spirit of the Lord, and using the words of God as a weapon, but they've removed Jesus from it, so you no longer have truth. When we miss the spirit of truth, 
which is the heart of it. And we rely upon the shadow of the facts of something or even obligation. We don't have truth at all. So don't be downcast, don't worry if you're only on a journey because it says he is the way. And as long as we're on the way, we're in the way, then we're in the truth. We're in him. We're surrounded by him. It's not about our perfection. It's about laying hold of his perfection. He is truth and he produces in us truth. He has left us here with the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth and points back to Jesus to glorify him who is truth and declare to us truth. John 16, verses 13 to 15. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And so we have been given the spirit of truth so that we can function in and speak out of a place of truth, not our own truth, but the truth. Empowered by the one who gives us all things. And so today, that's where I wanna leave it for today. I just wanted to encourage you about him being the way And that as long as we're laying hold of the one who is, and we allow him to confront us, not to back away from the light, not to back away from the challenge when he shines into our places that don't line up with that, but to ask him to bring correction by shining his light into those places and being okay with the confrontation, being okay with the discipline, being okay that what we have experienced in life and our circumstances is not the measure of truth, but to ask him to see more, to know more, to walk in his ways. And as long as we're on his path, he can and he will continue to lead us into a place of truth. So let's grab our communion. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're the one who leads us into all truth. 
Would you start right now even, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us. Reveal Jesus to us, His perfect love. Holy Spirit, would you draw us with cords of kindness and bonds of love onto your ways, into your truth. Would you show us those things that are stumbling blocks, those things that are slowing us down, those belief systems, those structures, those wounds. Lord, would you show us anything that is slowing us down and would you come and wrap your love around those things and shine your light in there. Show us truth. Holy Spirit, with this communion, would you show us the truth of everything Jesus accomplished? Show us what we need right now from this communion, individually. Show us the truth that we need to receive from this right now. Whether it's the truth of your healing, the truth of your love, the truth of restoration of relationships, the truth of provision. Lord, show us what we need to know that you purchased at the cross. Show us what we need to know where you made a way. Show us anything we need to change, anything we need to lay down. Show us the pathways we need to walk on, the pathways we need to leave. Spirit, without you, we couldn't understand. We couldn't know. We couldn't receive the truth. But by you, Holy Spirit, reveal to us Jesus. And take your communion. There 
You know, the Word of God, it heals us. The presence of God, it heals us. And if you spend some time allowing His Word to actually penetrate your heart, it'll heal you. It'll restore you. It'll bring refreshing to you. The presence of God and the Word of God is so powerful if you allow it to come in. And I really believe we're going into a season where the, the Lord's inviting us. There's an invitation to receive His love letters. There's an invitation to receive the fullness of His love for us and what that means, how that changes us, how that transforms us, how it sets our motivation and our feet on a different pathway. When we know His love and we're motivated by the love of God, God, we're changed. We, we shift places. I think there's some announcements. What an incredible word, hey? Very, very good. Uh, we all take, we didn't do the offering either, did we? No. <laughs> um, if you need a credit card slip, just pop your hand up. Someone will put that in your hand. We've also got the details up there if you want to give online. And we'll just pass the buckets around um, while we just do a couple of announcements. So we'll do calling all creatives. If you want to. So that's Monday the 5th of December. Um, they are doing a rego for that one. So if you look online, um, you'll see the rego for that so that they just know how, um, how to cater for the day. Um, but if you are coming along, just bring a plate of supper to share. That'd be wonderful. Uh, and also just the end of year dates. This is just to give everyone a heads up. So you're planning over Christmas. So our last Sunday service will be the 18th of December. Um, that's here and up at Moon to Mines as well. 
and we will start back up. So we have two weeks off, so don't come on Christmas Day and don't come on New Year's Day because no one will be here on those two Sundays. Um, But we will start back on the 8th of January, that's the Sunday. We'll do this morning service here. We're not actually gonna then have a 3 p.m. service here on the 8th, where for anyone who would like to, we're gonna do the 4 p.m. up at Moon to Mines, with a BYO picnic down at the beach straight after. So um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, it'll be a great time, family connection. Um, and for those that haven't connected with some of the congregation up there too, that it'll be great to be able to bring both congregations together. So you're more than welcome to join us up there for the, for the 4 p.m. as well. Uh, the last Tuesday is the 6th of December. So that's only... This week and next, isn't it? Is that right? Yes, two to go. Two more Tuesdays. So I think that's it for the announcements, isn't it? Carl, excellent. All right, have a good week. See you Tuesday night.